I want to tell you this morning how the Bible tells us to imagine God when we're worshiping and when we're praying. What does God look like? Now, how, how do we imagine who it is we're singing to or who it is we're praying to? And I know that some of you already know these scripture passages that we're going to look at, but some of you don't. And I hope I can give you some, some fresh understanding of who God is. And So I'm going to remind you of an illustration or a parable that I made up a couple of months ago about how it is when we talk about spiritual things, what is happening, what is it like. And when we talk about spiritual things, when the Bible describes the spirit realm, the kingdom of heaven, God's throne, and things like that, there's a lot of language that uses the word like. When, the, when Isaiah and Ezekiel and John, they see things, it was like this, or it was like that. And you can see what Paul says, I saw things there is no description for. When we, when we read these descriptions, they're not to be taken concretely literal in a physical sense because they aren't physical, they aren't concrete. It's true, of course, but it's kind of like my example a couple months ago. It's kind of like a salmon. You know, they swim down the river and out into the ocean and they swim around with the tuna and the dolphins and then they go back up the river to lay their eggs. You, you know that whole life cycle, I know, but... If fish could talk, and if the salmon could uh, go back after its adult run up the river, if it could go back out into the ocean and try to describe Bonneville Dam or a grizzly bear to a whale or a dolphin, would a fish have words for what it saw? No way. The, The salmon would have a hard time explaining to the whale and the dolphin what it saw, and the whale and the dolphin would have a hard time believing that it was even existed. I don't know if I believe that. Are you sure? So it's kind of the same way when people talk about dreams and visions and prophecies, and even even in the Bible, people's experiences like, I don't even know how to imagine that. Creatures with four faces, and what are 24 elders? What's that? What's an elder in heaven, you know? So, uh, I just I just want to remind you that this is the salmon telling the whale, well, there's this big creature with four long fins, and it isn't covered with scales. It's got, like, brown, mossy stuff all over its body, and it's got shark's teeth on the end of its fins. Right? That's how it would have to talk. And we know that it isn't shark's teeth, but that's the only description it would have. See that? So, and again, the next picture is this Bonneville Dam, and uh, the next one's the fish ladder on Bonneville Dam. And, 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 you know, again, how would the salmon describe that to a dolphin? Well, it's kind of like a cliff, but it's not. And it's kind of like a waterfall, but it's not. And that's the language we get in the Bible. When John and Ezekiel and Isaiah, so as we read these things, just understand these guys are really struggling for language. And, even, and then Paul just says it plain. He's like, I can't tell you what I saw. I have no idea. Like, it's not even in the language. And actually, that's the first scripture I want to talk, I want to point out. Second Corinthians 12, Paul says, I know a man in Christ, he's talking about himself, who was taken up to the third heaven 14 years ago. The third heaven is the heaven of God. The first heaven is the sky. The second heaven is outer space, the planets and stars. The third heaven is God's throne room. I was taken to the third heaven 14 years ago. I do not know whether the man was in his body or out of his body, but God knows. I know that this man was taken up to paradise. I don't know if he was in his body or away from his body, but God knows. He heard things he is not able to explain, things that no human is allowed to tell. 
Uh, that's pretty awesome. Paul says two things. I saw things I cannot describe, and I saw things I was forbidden to pass on. That's a pretty strong statement. So, again, um, when we read these descriptions, I realize it brings up more question marks than answers, but I have been reading these scriptures all week long, and, and they're beautiful, and they're wonderful, and like I said, I'm out this morning. So, I want to talk to you about the throne of God, where God lives, what's going on around him in heaven, because Jesus told us to pray, as in heaven, so on earth. Yes? As in heaven, so in your own mind. As in heaven, so in your own heart. As out from heaven, so out from your own mouth and your own hands. So let's, let's know what God is doing and where he's at and what's going on around him. Let's meditate on that a while. So the first encounter with heaven on earth is Jacob and he sees the angels going up and down the ladder in his dream. But he actually doesn't see into heaven. Um, so I'm skipping that one because there's no description of heaven necessarily or what God is doing in that, in that story. He just sees angels going up and down a ladder. But the first biblical description that comes to us of where God is and what he's doing and, and how he lives is actually Moses on the mountain. When he's getting the Ten Commandments, God, gives him, God shows him the tabernacle or the temple in heaven. And he says, build this on earth. So let's look at this first and in Exodus 25, God tells Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And then in Exodus 26.30, God says, You shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. God says to Moses first, I'm going to show you the heavenly tabernacle or the temple in, in heaven in my throne room, and you're going to build a copy of that on earth. So the tabernacle description that we've looked at multiple times in the last couple months is Moses' direct uh, construction based on the pattern that God showed him on the mountain. God showed him in heaven. And mostly where I want to focus is the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And this is given in Exodus 25. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, and you shall make two cherubim, those are angels, winged angels, of gold on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end, and the cherub shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony, that's the, law, the Ten Commandments stone tablets, that I give you, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in the commandment of the children of Israel. Then in Numbers 7... 89, it says, Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to them. So the, a pillar of fire was on top of the tent that was the tabernacle, and it went clear up into the sky so everybody could see it. But the bottom of that pillar of fire that doesn't burn things up went through the roof of the tabernacle, and the very base of the pillar of fire, the, pre, the, the presence of God and his voice came from right on top of the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses it said Moses would stand and look God face to face, and they would talk face to face. It says God spoke to him as a man speaks to his friend. The voice of God would come from between those two cherubim these two angels that had their wings pointed in you've seen a picture or you've seen it in a movie or you 
I'm going to guess you have a pretty good idea what the mercy seat was like. That was the base of the pillar of fire and the, the voice of God, the presence of God. Because that's where Moses spoke with God and that's where when the pillar of fire rose up and began to move, they'd move the ark and the tent and then when the pillar of fire stopped somewhere, they would put up the tent again and set it all back up in the prescribed order and then that pillar of fire would come and rest on the tabernacle right there on the Ark of the Covenant. And it was once a year when they were supposed to bring in the blood of the lamb on the day of atonement, the blood of the bull, and put it on the, on the mercy seat to atone for their sins because they had the idea from God himself, but from Moses' interaction with him too, that God lived on the mercy seat. That's where God lived. And there are eight or ten verses I could read to you, but I just want to show you one from Isaiah 37. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Notice the description of God is the, the one who lives between the cherubim. They got the idea that God lived right there on the mercy seat because that's where he spoke to them from. For three or four hundred years, the tabernacle is moving around the wilderness, then it follows Joshua and the conquest of the land, and then through the Judges period and Samuel's period, the Ark of the Covenant is the center of worship, and they, they speak of God as one of his descriptions is the one who lives between the cherubim. He lives right there. That is his throne. The mercy seat is the throne of God. That's where they saw him living. And then David in the Psalms, does not record an actual vision, but it's very clear that David has had some visions of God, especially from Psalm 18, uh, where he pictures himself crying out to God, and God gets up off his throne. It says he snorts smoke and breathes fire and come, mounts his cherubim and comes riding down to save David from his enemies. If you want to have a feeling a good mood, read Psalm 18. It is so, it is such an awesome psalm. It's that God is for us. David paints a very vivid picture. But I want to I want to read to you uh, from Psalm 11. David writes, "The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one his, who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup." Just that opening sentence. David says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. David understands that God is more than a pillar of fire on earth. You know, David writes in the Psalms that God holds the stars in his hand. And, God, and in one place he says, God stretched out the stars like the curtain in his tabernacle. Like outer space is just a piece of fabric that covers God. It, that God is not just a pillar of fire. He's not just living in a tent, but he has a temple in heaven where he lives and that his throne, this mercy seat on earth is, is his earthly place of interaction with us, but he has a throne in heaven. David really begins to give us the knowledge that God has a temple in heaven. He has a throne in heaven. In Psalm 89, he says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. The foundation of the throne of God is righteousness and justice. Psalm 97, David says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. His lightnings light the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. 
So David doesn't record it as a vision, but somehow he has seen that clouds and darkness surround God. He is surrounded by fire and cloud and lightning. And I think David had some visions when he was out there with the sheep playing his harp. I think he saw things. These are the only scriptural evidences that, that he did. But really, the first person that God opens up heaven and shows into his throne that we have a record of is Isaiah in chapter 6. Isaiah writes this, In the year that King Uzziah died, this is in 740 B.C. We know this exactly when this happened. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah is looking up. He sees God sitting on a throne. He sees him somewhat of a man shape, I guess, sitting on a throne wearing a robe, and that robe has a long train on it, as kings were wont to wear, and it doesn't say whether he's seeing the temple in heaven or the temple in Jerusalem, but either way, the, the train of his robe comes down off of the throne and it fills the entire temple. It's that much glory. And above it stood seraphim. Now, Sarah, this is an interesting thing. Every once in a while, the biblical translators throw us a curveball. Seraphim is a Hebrew word that they didn't translate. Just put it there in Hebrew in the English Bible. They do that with Christ and baptism and some other words where they just invent a new English word and throw it at us because they don't want to translate it. Seraphim is a, is a hard word to translate because it means it's plural and it means burning ones. It's used six times in Scripture, and the other five times it's in the context of snakes and scorpions. So, so if you translate seraphim according to how it gets translated the other times, it means fiery snakes. Isaiah says, I saw fiery snakes with six wings. So what could that possibly look like? I think he's seeing beings that are made of fire. And fire moves like a snake. Right? He's seeing floating flames of fire with wings of fire. And his only description, like the salmon trying to talk to the dolphin about what he's seen, his only description is, is like, they looked like snakes on fire. Okay? So he says, above it stood seraphim, we're not told how many. Uh, Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. John Bevere likes to teach this, that the angels are not saying, uh, a seraphim is is traditionally, it's taught as a a seraphim and cherubim are different kinds of angels. He's not saying that the angel says holy three times. But John Bevere says, like, in the same way that we would put something in all caps or underlined or italics, in the biblical scrolls, they would write something when the person said it with emphasis, like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you. That's like 30 times in the Gospels, Jesus says. But, but Jesus didn't repeat himself. He, when Jesus preached it, he said, truly, I tell you. And so when the Gospel writers recorded it, they wrote it twice to give it emphasis. So, so John Bevere says, the angel's not saying holy, holy, holy. They're saying, holy! Holy! So loud that it's shaking the doorposts of heaven. It's so loud that two times doesn't work. Two times in all the ancient literature, two times is what they write something for emphasis. But this phrase gets written with three, repeated three times. 
in Isaiah and in Revelation. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So we have God sitting on a throne. His, he's wearing a robe. He's, uh, his throne is high and lifted up above the temple. Either the temple in heaven or the temple in Jerusalem. Either one, it doesn't matter. The robe is coming down off of his throne and filling the whole temple. And there are fiery angels screaming about how holy he is. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken. Who, is, who said he's the door? Jesus said, I am the door. The holiness of God moves Jesus. He is unshakable except at the holiness of God. And the house was filled with smoke. God lives in a house. I'm sure it doesn't have a pitched roof. Windows and a front door. But the place, the heavenly palace that is the temple in Jerusalem is modeled after, I don't think it's a building at all. It just has the same parts. Don't picture God in a cubed brick, even gold building. There's a house that he lives in and it's full of smoke. And I said, Isaiah said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You're going to see this in every passage I read, but Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and John all think they're going to die when they see God. It is a continual thing that people report to us that they have been to the third heaven or I had a vision or I see, I've see i seen angels or I've seen God and they are so flippant and irreverent about it. If it's real, they will think they just about died. I think they will come back weak in the knees and on their face in repentance for God to have mercy on it. I have seen your holiness. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. Hey, there's an altar at the temple in Jerusalem. There's an altar in the temple in heaven. Seraphim takes tongs, gets a live, fiery coal from the altar, and he touched my lips with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people... Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Looked at that a couple months ago. Jesus said, you, see, you have eyes, but you don't see yet. You have ears, but you don't hear. Come on, like father, like son. 130 years later, during the period when the, when the Israelites are capt, in captivity in Babylon, Ezekiel and Daniel both get to see into heaven. Going to Ezekiel chapter 1, this is 593 B.C. Ezekiel says, in my 30th year, he's 30 years old when he sees this. Isaiah was in his 20s. Jeremiah was 17 when he started prophesying. My 30th year while I was in the Judean exiles beside the Kibar River in Babylon, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. The Lord gave this message to Ezekiel, the son of Buzi, a priest beside the Kibar River in the land of the Babylonians, and he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. And I looked and I saw a great storm. The, the word is actually a whirlwind. He saw a tornado. Coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was a fire inside the cloud. It's a fire-nado. 
coming toward him. God, so I'm not exactly sure that it's a tornado like we have in North America. What I picture more is, have you seen a huge fire burn where the fire is going up into the air and it, it's not spinning but it's billowing like the cloud and the fire are coming toward you but it's rolling in on itself as it moves forward. Have you seen video of that? Maybe some of you, if you're a wildland firefighter, maybe you've seen that in person. The cloud of fire that is on fire, but it's black at the same time. Have you seen fire like that? Okay, yeah. So this is, I think this is what Ezekiel is seeing. It's not a spinning whirlwind of fire, but a storm that's rolling. And it's a black cloud, but it's a cloud of fire at the same time. He says, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning, shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud. And in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. There's, uh, again, Ezekiel says, I I don't know how to describe it, but it was like amber color. It was on fire. From the center of the cloud came four living beings. The new King James says living creatures. Ezekiel says, I have no idea what I saw. I just know they were creatures and they were alive. That's as generic as you could make, right? Four living creatures. We just sang it in the song. Because that's what John says, the same thing in Revelation. They're creatures and they're alive. I have no description for what I saw. Because you're about to find out. They have four wings and four faces, and instead of human feet, they have calf's hooves. And I mean, these are some freaky-looking things. <laughs> they're made of fire. And it's like, they're creatures and they're alive. They're living creatures, that's all I can tell you. I have no idea what I saw. Okay, from the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight and their feet had hooves like those of a calf, and they shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. Each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion to the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle at the back. Wait till we read this in Revelation before I explain what this is. Each had two pairs of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch the wings of the living beings on either side of it, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals of fire or brilliant torches, and lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them, and the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. So again, these beings are made of fire, but they have facial features and wings and a body that's human-shaped with arms and legs and hands. But they're made of fire. They're glowing like molten metal. As I looked at these beings, I saw four wheels touching the ground beside them, one wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparkled as if made of barrel. So I looked up barrel, and there's about eight different colors, so it didn't help me. I wanted to see what this, what these wheels were like. Barrel is a semi-precious stone, and it doesn't help me because there's a bunch of different colors. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel within it. Lots of uh, time has been wasted trying to ex- figure out what these wheels are. Some people uh, picture it as a wheel with an inner wheel, kind of like a spinning rim on a hot rod car. 
Other people depict them as two, this is the ancient world, and if Ezekiel's calling them wheels, it would have been a chariot wheel or a wagon wheel, two at cross directions. There's one this way and in, in, in the center, one, the other's this way. And actually some Bible translations, the New Living Translation, puts it that way, that there was one with another one cross inside of it. But in chapter 10, which I'm not going to read to you, uh, Ezekiel says, I'm calling them wheels because I heard them called wheels. That's what he says. So I read into that, I think, the only reason I'm calling them wheels is because I heard them called wheels. But they didn't look like wheels. That's what I think. Is that Ezekiel says in chapter 10, I heard them called wheels in my hearing. One of the, so there's more to the story, too, than what's going on here, because he doesn't say that any of them said that. He just tells us that they did. Uh, I wonder if they're spheres. I, I just wonder. I, I can't prove anything. I just wonder if they're spheres. So we have four creatures in a, in a square, and each one of them has a wheel, or a sphere with another sphere inside of it, or a wheel with another wheel inside of it. I don't think they look like ancient world chariot wheels, because Ezekiel has to say, I'm calling them wheels because they were called wheels. I think that means he's saying, because they didn't look like wheels. I, that's what I think. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. And the rims of the four wheels were tall and frightening, and they were covered with eyes all around. Some people think that that's literal eyeballs. Other people think it's more like lights that shone out. Have lights in the ancient world. They just had candles and torches and lamps. So there's the idea that maybe those are lights. Either way, the eyes, Revelation, Jesus tells us, John tells us very clear that the eyes represent the Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing that escapes the view of creatures. When the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. When they flew upward, the wheels went up too. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So whenever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When the beings stopped, the wheels stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose up, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Spread out above them was a surface like the sky. So there is some sort of surface. Here we go again. What's the word for that? Well, I don't know. I just, I saw something above them that was a surface or a barrier above them. And it was kind of like the sky, glittering like crystal. Beneath this surface, the wings of each living creature stretched out to touch the other's wings, and each had two wings covering its body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore, or like the voice of the Almighty, or like the sound of a mighty army. There's Ezekiel again. Like, I can't tell you what it sounded like, but it was powerful. And it was loud. When they stopped, they let their wings down. As they stood with wings lowered, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. Above this surface was something that looked like a throne made of blue sapphire. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. And from his waist down, he looked like a burning flame, shining with splendor. I don't know why Ezekiel spends more time describing the angels underneath the throne than God on the throne, but he does. He spends multiple uh, paragraphs describing these beings and the wheels, and then he says, oh yeah, and on top of that, there was this surface that looked like crystal. 
and it was the sky, and on top of that was this throne, and it looked like a man, and from his waist up he looked like fire, and from his waist down he looked like flames. What is that? Is he killed? <laughs> Why did you say all of him was on fire? Well, there's a man made of fire, sitting on the throne, shining like molten metal, again. And all around him was a glowing halo like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me when I saw it. And I fell face down on the ground and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. Surface that he sees above the angels is the same thing that John sees in Revelation where he says a sea of glass was around the throne. But Ezekiel is underneath it looking up and John is on top of it looking down. Same thing, that sea of glass is how John puts it in Revelation. The sea of glass that surrounds the throne, Ezekiel's seeing up from underneath it, he's seeing the wheels on God's chariot, on his throne. This Bible says multiple times, God who rides upon the cherubim. What Ezekiel sees is God coming down on his throne, his mobile throne of action, the Bible says he's a man of war. This God on his chariot, Ezekiel looks down and he says he sees him come to Jerusalem. And then the first ten chapters of Ezekiel is God moving around Jerusalem, dispensing judgment from his throne. Being carried on the cherubim, and that's totally biblical. It's all through scripture, God who rides on the cherubim. And so Ezekiel is seeing the cherubim from underneath, and he says on top of them was this glassy surface, and on top of that was the throne. And in Revelation, John looks, and he sees the throne, and around under the throne is a sea of glass. It's the same thing. Both of them say it's surrounded by a rainbow. They're seeing the same thing, just from opposite perspectives. Don't picture, I don't picture, God on his throne There's this sea of glass which represents his holiness, this purity that no one can be with him. Holiness means to be set apart. He dwells in holiness. And outside of that is a rainbow. Don't picture this earthly arched rainbow. God is, it says he is surrounded like a halo. Again, don't picture a medieval painting with this halo around his head. He is is totally enveloped in light. That on the edge of it are all the colors of the rainbow. If you're young enough and you want to picture it this way with me, I see it like a force field would be depicted in a sci-fi movie. (laughs) Not to repel, but it's his holiness. And and Here's God on his throne and emanating from him is his holiness and he's surrounded by this rainbow. What's the rainbow represent in Genesis after the flood? His mercy. God, when he looks out from his throne, he looks through a rainbow. Looks toward us, he sees us through mercy. Through his promise that he will not destroy us. Yeah, so in a sci-fi movie, they shoot the the force field and it's invisible, but it's there. And it's light, but it's kind of fabric. You know, it kind of flexes when they shoot it. Uh, You know, I'm just imagining that, that God is... The, the scripture says he's surrounded by a halo of glowing light and a rainbow shining like the clouds. I, I don't think God has a rainbow bow over his head. I think it's way more awesome and beautiful than anything here on earth. I think he is completely enveloped in a sphere of glory that has a rainbow on the edge of it. It speaks of his mercy, but it's, uh, it's completely unearthly. So we can't picture 
He says it's like a rainbow. But the fact that it's a rainbow speaks of that that is in his presence is pure light because you can't have any darkness to have a rainbow. You've got to have all the wavelengths of light. God is totally pure. He's all in the light. There's no darkness. He's not uh, surrounded by any shadow at all. But Ezekiel says, when I saw it, I fell face down on the ground. And then Ezekiel 3, he says, the spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and turmoil, but the Lord's hold on me was strong. I was overwhelmed and sat astonished for seven days. Maybe you know some stories of people who've been baptized in the spirit or had an interaction with God and like Heidi Baker went to Toronto and got baptized in the Holy Spirit so strong she was in a wheelchair for weeks. I heard a pastor tell of his story of an encounter with God that he had in the Spirit, and he said, for the next week or so, I was completely useless. I was aware of the world around me, but I was so much thought on God. My knees were weak, and my stomach was churning, and I didn't think of anything but God. He said, I went to get the mail, and my wife told me I was gone two hours. I just stood at the mailbox, worshiping God. That I knew I was at the mailbox, but it felt like five seconds to me. It felt like I just got, put the box down, reached in and got the mail and came back. My wife said, no, you're gone two hours. You just, you, she said, you opened the mailbox and you just stood there. Totally blanked out for two hours. But he, his spirit is in the presence of God. I've told you my story about my friend Oyvind in Manitoba uh, who got, as a young man in YWAM, got blasted by the Holy Spirit. He saw a light come out of the speaker, come up the stairs and hit him in the belly. And for, again, for a week or two, he was just weak-kneed and churning inside. And this is what Ezekiel is describing. I went in bitterness and turmoil and I sat astonished for seven days. Astonished, I'm sure, like he was in a trance. Or, or he was so weak he couldn't stand up. He couldn't interact with people. What I saw was so overwhelming, I... I got taken away into the spirit. I know a story of a woman who had uh, spiritual visions and she became so hungry for heaven that her body died. She, she was joyful and healthy and in love with God, but she was so much in her mind on heaven that her body just shut down. She's like, I'm, and Paul says that. I want to go to be with Christ, but I'm going to stay. It's like he, Paul had a decision to make. That's the weirdest deal. I'm going to decide whether to die or live. I want to go, but I'll stay here because it's more useful for you. Yeah, there's, I, I, this is what Ezekiel means, is when he says, I sat astonished. I, I think he, he was out of it, overwhelmed by what he saw. And it was beautiful and wonderful, but it, it, like it, it, Isaiah says, I am undone. I don't know how many of you would know that feeling. I don't claim to know I, what Isaiah and Ezekiel felt, but, but over the last two weeks, I, God has been undoing me on the inside. It's even hard to breathe. Hey, after you all did your anniversary appreciation, I, I for the next two days I couldn't do anything but put on worship music and cry. Uh, God, I jokingly talked about God flipping a switch. Well, He did. I, I have no words for what I have experienced. With after two or three days, it started to wear off, and I had to go look for it. Instead of being overwhelmed and not being able to do anything, I had to go look for it, and it would last five minutes instead of all day long. And, but even yesterday, I, I started in inside just reading these scriptures, just a micro level of what Isaiah and Ezekiel felt. But it does feel like I'm coming apart inside because he's drawing so hard. Daniel, nearly the same time, Daniel is much younger than Ezekiel, at the same period in, in Israelite history, 
Daniel is also given a vision into, the, into heaven. I don't, there's no evidence that Ezekiel and Daniel knew each other. And they were both in Babylon, so they may have known each other. Daniel 7, he has a vision in a dream. Daniel 7.1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. A couple things, this is different than Isaiah and Ezekiel because Daniel is asleep when it happens. But his dream is just as legitimate as what God shows the other two when they're conscious. And also Daniel says, these are just the main facts. This is not everything I saw and heard. Daniel 7, 9, and 10. I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. And his clothing was white as snow, and his hair was like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels. There it is again. The throne of God has wheels on it. And the wheels were of blazing fire. So the throne is made of fire. God is made of fire. The wheels are made of fire. Everything's just fire. But it has shape and color. And it's alive. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels, we just sang that. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. I don't want to add to scripture, but just to help us imagine these things, those of you who are my age and younger might know what I'm referring to. Isaiah says, I saw God on his throne high and lifted up. And Daniel says, there are millions of angels and thrones around him. So I have no proof. This is just the way I imagine it. But those of you who would know what the imperial senate is. Oh, it's a ridiculous example. But here is the emperor in the middle of that sphere with thousands of people around him. Now in the movie, it's all black and dark and gray and colorless. Heaven is as colorful and as live as Rivendell or something like that. I mean, just there's color and light and water and green everywhere. So don't think, um, I even hesitated to bring up that example because I don't want you to think associate God and the emperor in Star Wars. But... That sort of shape is what I picture. Here's God's throne in the middle of this sphere of millions of angels cheering him and worshiping him, singing what Daniel says. Daniel seven twenty eight. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed and I kept the matter in my heart. In other places in the book, when he has a vision, he says, I fell down I thought I was going to die. Every time, it's real. So those are the Old Testament Pictures of the throne of God, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. The next picture we get into heaven or the next report we get is Paul's, but he doesn't tell us anything. What I saw, I cannot describe to you and I'm not even allowed to. But there are some other New Testament descriptions of what's in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 9, whoever wrote Hebrews for us says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all and secured our redemption forever. So Hebrews takes us back to Moses and the fact that the earthly tabernacle and the earthly temple were laid out according to God's architectural drawings. The model that God showed Moses author of Hebrews says, Jesus entered into the most holy place, but not the holy place of the temple in Jerusalem. He entered into the temple in heaven. 
what do we get out of that? Well, the fact that God lives in a palace that is a temple in heaven. Again, I don't think it's a cube-shaped building. It looks like the temple in Jerusalem. Something much more spiritual and alive and beautiful and colorful and who knows what. But there is a temple in heaven, and it has an ark, and it has a most holy place. And jumping to verse 22, according to the law of Moses... Nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven, but he entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. This passage says Jesus... After he resurrected, he marched in the tabernacle or the temple in heaven, which has an altar. We already know that from Isaiah. There is a house there that God lives in, has a holy place, went through the curtain, went up to the mercy seat, the very throne of God, and he put his own blood right where God sits. Inside the rainbow! He walked across the crystal sea. We already know he can walk on water here. He walked across the water in heaven. He is the only one that can cross that barrier of holiness and live. Because he's the only one that's perfect. He walked across. He walked through the rainbow. He walked across the sea. He walked right up to the throne of God. And he poured his blood out on the seat where God sits. And he made atonement for our sin. This actually happened, folks. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It actually happened. Really, truly happened in heaven. And then one last man in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, sees into heaven. And this is what he saw. Revelation 1. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. He was exiled, is what he means. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as if a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. I love John's phrase, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Like it's just an everyday thing for him to just go off in the Spirit and have experiences with God. Revelation 1, 12 to 18. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were flame of fire. His feet were like the fine brass. This is Jesus now. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice was as the sound of many waters, like father, like son. Now Jesus looks like God. No longer is he the suffering servant. He is the exalted king of the universe. Now he is white and he's made of fire himself. His voice sounds like a waterfall. And he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the king keys of Hades and of death. John falls down like he's going to die too, and the first thing Jesus always says is, don't be. 
for you. Skipping to Revelation 4. After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. There's a door. It's Jesus. But there is a way into the palace, into the temple in heaven. There's a building there. Or it's not a building, but there's a place, a location. And the first voice which I heard was the trumpet speaking with me and said, Come up here and I will show you these things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a diamond and a sardius stone in appearance. Sardius is deep red stone. There was a rainbow around the throne. Look at that. In appearance like an emerald, around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed with white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Well, where have we heard that before? John seeing the same thing that Ezekiel is seeing. The throne with a rainbow around it and lightning and thunder and voices coming from the throne. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So here's these four creatures again. John says they're around the throne and in the midst of the throne. I I think they're on its four corners or they're kind of underneath it and around it at the same time. He doesn't describe them as being fiery like Ezekiel does, but he does describe the same four faces. John doesn't mention that they each have four faces, but he mentions the same four. Well, what is that? I I think probably because Ezekiel, it's very clear, you read Ezekiel, all ten chapters, the first ten chapters, they're turning all the time. And so Ezekiel saw them from four different sides. John is just seeing them look at him. One has a face turned toward him. So what is that? What are these creatures with four faces? Okay, It is very early church tradition from the 100s. Uh, just 50 years after John wrote this, it is very earliest church tradition from Arrhenius on that these four living creatures are the four Gospels. These living creatures that burn with fire and have four faces are the four Gospels. They are the four testimonies of Jesus Christ. Um, you can go back through church history, and it's all through church history. that every that People differ on which Gospel is which different face, which I think is a total waste of time, because Ezekiel said they all have all four. Duh, we don't need to worry about which one's which. They all have all four. The four faces represent the four roles of who Jesus is. They are full of the Spirit. They go wherever the Spirit is. They are alive. They burn with fire. And God rides on these four beings. I I don't have time to go into it all and explain why, but from the very beginning, it has been standard church tradition that these four living creatures represent the four Gospels. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? 
and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, there he is, inside the crystal sea, inside the rainbow, inside the holiness of God. In the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, looking as though he'd been slain. The elder calls him a lion, but John says, I looked and I saw a lamb that looked like it had been killed. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Horns in scripture always represent strength and authority. Eyes represent the, the spirit of God, which it says, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand who sat, of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God, and you shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all of them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. That's been going on in heaven for two thousand years. It's going on there right now. Jesus is on the throne with his Father, being worshipped by the creatures and the elders, and millions times millions of angels. Skipping to Revelation 21, John sees heaven at one last time. He says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a diamond, clear as crystal. Also, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And written on them are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The construction of its wall was as of diamond, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was diamond, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth was amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. John sees a river of water flowing from the throne. Daniel said it was a river of fire. Which one is it? Yes. Water sometimes and fire others? No. It is water and fire all the time. It is the water of life. It's this. It's the word of God that proceeds from the throne of God. This is water of life to us, and it is the fire of judgment to the wicked. What feeds us and makes us alive, they choke on and they hate. 
burns them. It's not water or fire, or water and fire. It is the word of God. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. There is a throne in heaven. It is a throne made of fire, and its name is the mercy seat. Aren't you glad God's throne is called the mercy seat and not the judgment seat? God's throne has a name, and it's the mercy seat. It's amazing. It is high and lifted up, even in heaven. It is the pinnacle of that holy mountain. The throne is made of fire. And it flashes with lightning and thunder and is surrounded by black clouds and a tumultuous roar. And on that throne sits one called the Ancient of Days, the Almighty, the Father of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, tells us what God is made of. First John says our God is a consuming fire and God is love. Those are the two things he's made of. He is a living flame of love. Shaped like a man white robe but his being is fire that burns with love in appearance as a man clothed with white blinding and terrifying to look at he is separated by a crystal clear expanse of holiness that appears as the sky or the sea surrounded by a rainbow outside that rainbow is a ring of thrones of holy ones and angels that give worship continually offering the sweet incense of the prayers and the worship of his people on the earth. From the foundation of the throne, which is righteousness and justice, flows a river, which is the word of God. The stream is either fire or water, is the fire of judgment to the wicked, and is the water of life to the holy. In and on this most holy, heavenly mercy seat, in the heavenly temple, is the palace where God lives, in the most holy place in heaven, in the holiest of holies in the entire universe, God, the almighty ancient of days, the holy one of Israel, has brought a man, a human man, was allowed to walk inside, Jesus Christ. The man who is simultaneously a conquering lion and a slain lamb. The man who prevailed by dying. The man who won the ultimate victory by dying the ultimate death. This man is the king of heaven. The lamb on the throne, the lion that opens the judgments of God, the savior with eyes of fire and the voice like a waterfall. This man sits on that throne of fire. The throne of holiness, the throne of righteousness and justice and mercy and truth are before his face. This is the man who saves us from hell and sin. And this is the man who defeated death. This is the king we worship. This is the man who wants his spirit to live inside of you. All of that is not only on the other side of outer space. It's right in here. The whole thing. All of that holiness, all that power, all that beauty, all that life. It's all right here. Because where is the temple of God? It isn't on the other side of outer space. It's in your body. That's how we picture God when we're praying, when we're worshiping. All of that is in there if you will turn and look.